0: It's Monday, March 18th. Welcome to our new podcast, Skim This. Every Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., we're breaking down the biggest, most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into gerrymandering. There's a big case going on about it at the Supreme Court, and it definitely won't be the last. We'll connect the dots on why gerrymandering is so controversial and how it impacts elections. Then, the protests in Paris are still a thing. We'll give you the latest on the violent uproar of the Yellow Vest movement. And it's that time of the year again where basketball fans go mad. We've got a player to watch who's a legacy kid. Get those brackets ready. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Duncan. Skim This is here to make your evening smarter. Duncan's here to make your morning smarter. Their power breakfast sandwich has 24 grams of protein, no artificial flavors or dyes, just like us. We run on news. America runs on Dunkin'. The most convoluted story today is about the Supremes and gerrymandering. Today, the justices heard a case about whether or not lawmakers in Virginia racially gerrymandered their state legislative districts. Next week, the Supremes will hear two more cases from North Carolina and Maryland about whether their U.S. congressional districts were gerrymandered as well. And with elections coming up, gerrymandering is a thing you're going to be hearing about a lot. Basically, gerrymandering is when voting districts get drawn in a way that benefits one party or one population over the other. And they turn the election map into a giant jigsaw puzzle on acid. But it's not just hard on the eyes. It can be unfair, and sometimes it's actually illegal. So today, we're going to talk about it. First we're gonna tell you where this idea came from. Yes, there's a story here. And second, we're gonna get into what gerrymandering actually does. Third, what this case in Virginia is all about. Okay, first, where did this idea of gerrymandering come from? We're gonna take it back, way back, to the year 1810. That year, this guy named Elbridge Gary was elected governor of Massachusetts. Yep, that's Gary. Anyway, After Governor Gary took office, his party, the Democratic-Republicans, redrew the Massachusetts Senate map to make sure the Federalists, the other guys, wouldn't win as many seats. Gary didn't actually draw the map, but he did sign off on it. And the map looked insane. People said one of the districts looked like a salamander sneaking around Massachusetts. Or, wait for it, a gerrymander. Eventually, the Federalists kicked Gary out of office. And somewhere along the line, we changed the name to gerrymander, soft G. But that concept of redrawing districts to make sure a certain party kept winning didn't go away. Which brings us to part two. What does gerrymandering do? Last week, we talked about the census, how it happens every 10 years, and that it determines how many congressional districts each state gets for the next decade. But states are the ones that get to decide what their districts actually look like based on that census data. Usually it's the state lawmakers that are put in charge of their own makeover. Sometimes it's an independent or nonpartisan commission. They start cutting up the cake. Some people get a corner piece, some people get the marzipan hippo, some people get the name in the middle. That's okay. What's not okay is when legislators redraw districts so that they put one party at a disadvantage. Instead of cutting up normal square pieces, they look at where the people who vote for them live and they go, all crazy on that cake. They cut one piece with the marzipan hippo on the left and the corner on the right and their name in the middle. It's a sticky mess. That's called partisan gerrymandering. Those maps look insane. Maryland's third congressional district kind of looks like a fidget spinner. Pennsylvania's seventh congressional district has been called goofy kicking Donald Duck because that's what it looks like. Those districts tend to get challenged in court, And then the entire state map can get thrown out. That happened with Pennsylvania. And now the Supreme Court's got a case coming up on exactly that, North Carolina's U.S. congressional map. Republicans there have said openly that they drew the map specifically to help Republicans win. There's also bipartisan gerrymandering, which is when lawmakers from both parties agree to maps that ensure that members from both parties stay in office. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours kind of deal. Then, there's racial gerrymandering. That's what's at issue in the Virginia case the Supremes heard about today. So this is the third thing we're going to get into. Racial gerrymandering is when lawmakers redraw electoral maps based on racial lines. It's often done to weaken minorities' voting power. And it's illegal. It can also go hand-in-hand with partisan gerrymandering cases when minority voters tend to vote for the same party. So in 2011, after the last census, lawmakers in Virginia drew up a new legislative map. But then voters in 12 of those districts argued that they had been drawn so that a large portion of African Americans were packed into just those 12 districts. And that meant there would be fewer blacks voting in the other districts. They said Republicans did that so they'd win the other districts. The lower court said race had been the main consideration in the redistricting. Republicans deny this. They said they only considered race to make sure they were complying with the Voting Rights Act and to make sure the new maps wouldn't dilute the power of African-American voters. After years of back-and-forth court battles, a lower court agreed with the voters in 11 of the 12 districts. Now the Republican House of Delegates has appealed to the Supremes. So what's the skim? The Supremes are hearing the case today and are expected to make a decision in June, which is crazy timing because it's right when Virginia's primary season starts. It's one of the few states that will hold their statewide election this year instead of in 2020. Last go around, Democrats in Virginia's State House won the popular vote by a huge margin, but they got less seats, less voting power. Experts say that's because of gerrymandering. Next week, the Supremes will hear two more cases of potential partisan gerrymandering in North Carolina and Maryland against Democrats and Republicans, respectively. Which means this is going to be a major issue in 2020 when everything is going down. Big stakes buckle up. We're moving from voters in Virginia to yellow jackets in Paris. We'll explain why the protest movement in France is still going strong after the break. Paris is burning, again. That was the mantra over the weekend after 10,000 protesters took to the streets for the 18th weekend in a row. They're called yellow jackets or yellow vests because most of the protesters are wearing the yellow emergency vests that people are required to have in their cars. There were fires started and some looting. Paris police say 60 people were injured and more than 190 people were arrested. Like we said, this has been going on in France for a while, but things are coming to a head, So today, we're going to bring you three things you need to know about these protests. First, how did this start? Let's rewind to last November. French President Emmanuel Macron has been trying to get France to move to cleaner energy. So his government passed a fuel tax hike that was scheduled to start in January. Better for the environment? Yes. Better for wallets of working-class people? Not so much. Those working-class people, especially in rural and suburban areas, drive a lot. Many of them commute to work, so they said they were getting hit harder than rich people living in the cities. By November, people were already feeling the pinch, so they started a protest. After a few weeks, the French government finally suspended the fuel tax, but the protests kept going. That brings us to the second thing to know. What do the Yellow Vests want now? Well, the Yellow Vests want the French government to pay attention to the working class. They want lower taxes, a higher minimum wage, and higher pensions. They also want a new government. Some have called on President Emmanuel Macron to resign. But there are also some using violence to get their point across. They're the ones starting fires and looting businesses and clashing with police officers. There have been hundreds of arrests. As of this month, 10 people have died in connection to the protests. Thing to know number three, what the government is doing. Back in December, after all this had been going on for a few weeks, Macron got on TV to address the drama. He condemned the violence but promised to listen more. We will not resume the normal course of our lives, like so often in the past after crises, without really drawing any lessons from uh, our experiences, from our crises. We are at a historic juncture. He's been hosting a bunch of town halls across the country for two months now. They just wrapped up on Friday. The protests continued in the background and then came to a head again this weekend. And Macron is over it. He took to Twitter to say that the Yellow Vest protests weren't really a protest anymore. He said they were, quote, people who want to destroy the Republic. So he's going to make some strong decisions ASAP. Just within the last few hours, one of those decisions was announced. The Yellow Jacket protesters have been banned from protesting in one Paris neighborhood and in two other cities after lootings and fires this weekend. The French government is also replacing the police chief. Stay tuned for more decisions this week. It's only Monday, but we're also staying tuned for what happens next weekend. That's when the NCAA tournament is in full swing. That's next. Last night was Selection Sunday for men's college basketball, but tonight, hundreds of amazingly talented female ballers are finding out if they're playing in the NCAA basketball tournament and who they're up against. So today, we wanna tell you about Kalani Brown. She was basically born with a basketball in her hand. Her mom played in college and her dad played in the NBA for 15 seasons. And Kalani is more than living up to that legacy. She's a senior at Baylor University and she's already scored more than 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds during her career there. So she's not messing around. And she's really a team player. Here she is in a post-game interview with Fox Sports at the Big 12 Conference Championship last month. Uh, I just want to give all the thanks to my teammates. They're the ones that give me the ball. They're the ones that go through so much and put up with Coach to (laughs) get me where I am today. So I just want to give all the credit to my team. I couldn't have done it without them. She went on to help Baylor win the Big 12 tournament for the ninth time in 11 years last week. Baylor's heading into the tournament with only one loss the whole season. And Brown is heading toward graduation with an eye on going pro. She's expected to be a top draft pick in the WNBA. Check out our website, theskim.com, for a guide on some of the other players to keep an eye on during the tournament. Before we go today, we have a fun fact for you as you build out your NCAA bracket. It's madness. If you're one of the 47 million Americans trying to predict the outcome of every game, just know the odds aren't exactly in your favor. There are so many possible outcomes as the 64 teams head to the first round that the chance of scoring a perfect bracket is more than 1 in 9.2 quintillion. That's 9.2 and 17 zeros. We're all about context, so just know that there are roughly 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on Earth which means that finding one specific grain of sand is actually easier than getting a perfect bracket. But if you still want to get in on some of the combined $8.5 billion people are expected to bet this month, just a reminder, sports wagers are now legal, but only in eight states, meaning potentially not your office pool. We have more fun facts about the madness in our deep dive episode, Betting on the NCAA Tournament, in our app. It's available at your app store. And that's all for Skim This. Thank you so much for listening and starting your week off with us. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review. Also, keep telling your friends. Hope you join us again tomorrow night. Also, we'd love to know what you think, so head over to theskim.com forward slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can enter into a random drawing for a chance to win a $100 prize just for taking the survey. And don't worry, it's not a sports bet.